Well, guys, it is good to be back in in-person worship for those of you who are here in the commons and then for those of you who are worshiping online. Uh, that's what we've been doing for the last uh, couple of weeks. So it is so good to be back with you. Um, we are still in our series, Kaleidoscope, and one of the things that we've been asking is this, is what do you see when the picture changes? But today I want to ask a different question, and here's the question I want to invite you to think about. What do you or what have you experienced when the picture is changing, when the picture is changing. In a kaleidoscope, the way the, the picture is formed, it's with these little pieces of broken glass or colored plastic or whatever it is. And there's that moment, I guess maybe a micro moment in the world of kaleidoscopes, where there is the shifting, there is the turning, and you have gone from a moment when there was a beautiful pattern and picture to where there is going to be a new beautiful picture and pattern. But in the moment when the everything is in motion, everything is, there is no pattern, there is no uh, picture. We are in that moment when things have turned upside down. Uh, maybe it is, you know, the phone call that you weren't expecting. Maybe it was uh, the relationship that had been uh, so, so solid, so secure, so you thought everything was fine and then it wasn't. Maybe it was the job that you thought was the one that you would have until the day you retired and only to be called into your boss's office until your services are no longer needed or, or whatever that moment is for you, what has your experience been in what I would call the in-between moments? I know for our family, and thank you so much, so many of y'all have been kind of on this journey with, with Mark and me. Uh, he was diagnosed with COVID, has it been three weeks now? I've kind of lost track of time. But we were, you know, quarantining at home, just kind of expecting Mark is strong. I mean, he exercises, he works out, he jogs. We're in our 50s. We're not in a high-risk group. I wouldn't have any symptoms whatsoever. And thinking, you know, we'll, this will just be really, you know, sucky and crappy for a week or two, and then he's going to be over it. And uh, we were coming into day eight, and then day nine was Labor Day, and his fever was just relentless. It would not break. And so uh, there was one point maybe at four or five days into it where it broke, but then it just came back with a vengeance. And so we called the doc and, and he said, we all need to go to the emergency room. And I remember driving Mark to the hospital and, and he said, and I, you know, dropped him off at the emergency room there. Of course, you can't go in because of COVID. And I, and I just remember he looked at me and he said, don't you leave. He said, I'm not staying in this hospital. I'm coming back home. And, uh, you know, a couple hours later, he called me and he said, yeah, they're keeping me. He said, I'm, I've got pneumonia. Y'all, for me, that was that moment when everything was in motion and everything was changing and everything was turning and there was that in-between moment between the moment when you knew what was but you weren't sure what would be. Here's the thing that I experienced, and maybe you've experienced these as you're thinking about your own stories, is that it does feel like that sometimes in those in-between moments that, that if we lean into God, that God is able to leverage these, these pivotal circumstances, if you will, to deepen our faith, to strengthen our faith, to do a work in us, and to do a work through us. It's the moment that that you wouldn't have wanted, you wouldn't have asked for it. But in that moment, 
Your prayers are no longer um, perfunctory. Your prayers are no longer a part of your spiritual discipline, but your prayers are passionate. I was talking to a friend of ours in the 830 service this morning, and she said, you know, I don't know if God, how God felt about this, but when I found that, you know, Mark had been hospitalized, she said, I went to what I call my begging prayers. You know, Jesus help him, Jesus help him, Jesus help him. And I said, well, I started praying for the medical person I said, mine was, Lord, don't let anything go unnoticed. Don't let anything go unnoticed. Don't let anything go unnoticed. And so thank you so many of you that were praying with us and as he has had a, a, you know, a great outcome. But in those moments, the question is, are we going to allow God to leverage the moment so that he might do a work in us and through us. Today we're looking at uh, somebody who was right in the middle of an in-between moment. In fact, churches that were right in the middle of an in-between moment. And uh, for those of you who are here in worship, I'm going to take a little bit of a deviation from the the scripture that's in your bulletin. We're going to get to it at the very end. But right now, I want to invite Joseph uh, to pull up our first slides here. But what I want us to do is is look at the words of Peter um, and our and our passage that we're going to be digging into today comes from 1 Peter. And, and just to kind of give you a little bit of background, who Peter is and who he's writing to, he is writing to people who were in the middle of this kaleidoscope moment, if you will, uh, the moment when their world is being turned upside down and the pattern of what we now know as the New Testament and the church and all the good things, all that can't be seen yet. And so Peter is writing to these to these uh, churches that are in what is now modern day Turkey, mostly Gentiles ex- experiencing extreme persecution and he is writing to them in their in-between moment. So I want us today to spend a little bit of time reading through just these opening verses here, uh, just nine of them. It's it's a very short passage. And and ask the question, what can we learn and what can we take away as we navigate these in-between kaleidoscope moments when, when the picture is in flux and it hasn't settled down yet? So let's begin here in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9. It says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Right here, there's a key word where where Peter is wanting to frame their experience. He is wanting to orient them to uh, an understanding of, of who they are in this moment. And he calls them, and this is kind of the first thing that we learn here, but he calls them foreigners. Now, they're not literally foreigners. Uh, they, are, they are citizens of Pontus. They are citizens of Galatia. They are citizens of Cappadocia, Asia. This is probably where their parents were born, where their grandparents were born. Maybe they had migrated or, or traveled, but, but probably not. They are Roman citizens. But he says, oh, no, 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 no. In this moment, he said, you are foreigners. Uh, some, some translations say you are exiles. You are pilgrims. And, and what Peter was trying to do, even though these were not Jewish people, but he is inviting them to see themselves as a part of the grand story of God. He is pointing them back, and you see him doing this in the rest of the book, or the letter to them. He is pointing them back 
and reminding them of times when God's people were foreigners, when they were exiles, when they were slaves in Egypt, when they were um, exiled to Babylon, times in their history when they were not living in their motherland, so to speak. And he says, basically, this earth is not your true home. You are foreigners, residents, aliens, exiles, pilgrims. And he said, but you have another home. So he is taking this moment in their history. They were experiencing intense persecution uh, from the Greeks and from the Romans. And he said, this is the first thing is remember that you are pilgrims, aliens. He goes on and he says that God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And then he gives a, a, a blessing. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And then he begins to sing a song of praise. He says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. I want to take just a few moments because I think this is the second thing that stands out to me as Peter is helping them kind of navigate this in-between moment, this pivotal circumstance. And he says, one, I'm going to praise God. And he said, and it's by God's great mercy that we have been born again. And now we live with great expectation. Other other translations say it is it is our our hope. I remember so Mark went in the hospital on Monday and then Tuesday Tuesday was my day when the pieces were in turmoil. And, and having, you know, some folks in our lives that are in the medical community, I had talked to one person and, and they had been able to look at, you know, some of Mark's, you know, chest films and stuff. And I said, should I be scared? And uh, this person is a physician and they, and they didn't say no. They said, well, uh, it's serious and it could get critical, and the next 24 hours are very important. The next 24 hours are very important. Talked to another person who was in a, a, you know, someone in our world, and they were like, anyway, friend, you need to get Mark to Emory, get Mark to, you know what I'm saying? They said, said, I work with COVID patients, and the next 24 hours can go either way, and this is really important that he gets exactly what he needs. And and I will say, we are so grateful. I feel like Mark had the very best medical care, but I knew that it was that critical moment, and I remember, and of course, we had gotten the word out, and I felt like, you know, just my goodness, the whole community was praying. I mean, childhood friends, the world was praying, but I remember sitting on my couch in my living room, y'all. And I had that moment, and maybe you've experienced this, where I I was starting to, I felt like I was standing on a precipice, like in the abyss of of panic, uh, the abyss of just, you know, about to lose it. I was standing on it. And I could feel my, my, like I wanted to hyperventilate. I wanted, I had planned Mark's funeral in my head. I mean, the whole nine yards. I mean, I just, and I was getting to that place where, and, and I remember just stopping, and I said, all right, friends, stop. What is the absolute worst thing that could happen in this moment? Okay, y'all, my next thoughts 
were so incredibly selfish. And I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to be real. My next thought was not, how is this going to impact Martha Bowman? I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> I got there. You know, but my thought was not, how is this going to impact Mark's mama? My next thought is my kids. My next thought was me, wife, wife, you know, married to my best friend. And I thought, what's the worst thing that could happen? I thought, he could die. And then, y'all, this hope, this incredible hope rose up in my spirit, and it was the hope of the gospel. And I thought, okay, if I lose him, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be terrible. I mean, I'm not going to mince, you know, pretend any of that's not in place. But I thought, I'll see him again. I'll see him 20, 30 years, but then we'll be together for all of eternity. I will never lose him. We will all be together. I can make it through this. He'll just get there before me. And y'all, the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ and my salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ was the anchor to my emotions. And I had peace. I had peace that no matter what happened, I did not have peace and I did not have a promise that my husband would recover. You know, and you watch the news and you see the numbers ticking, ticking, ticking. It's like, oh God, I don't want my family to be one of those numbers. I don't want to be. Uh, but if that is what happens, my hope is anchored in the gospel. And I think that's what kind of the second thing here that Peter is telling this church is our hope our hope, no matter what you're going through, you're in between kaleidoscope moment before the picture is formed, before the picture has settled. Your hope that is the anchor to your soul is in the good news that Jesus died. He bore our sins on the cross. It's the good news of eternal life and the hope of the gospel. He says, he says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. In verse 6, and this is kind of the, the third thing that I felt like the Lord showed me. He said, so be truly glad. He said, there is wonderful joy of hope ahead, of joy ahead. He said, even though you must endure many trials for a while. And he said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, what is Peter saying here? What is Peter's saying. He's saying that the trials and the struggles and the in-between these moments, they are these strange gifts, strange gifts, because in that moment, the, the dross, if you will, the impurities of all of our false hopes, all of our distractions, all of our pettiness, it falls away and it burns away, and it reminds us that our true home, our true home is with Christ. Our true home is with Him. 
I was talking to, uh, we did a, so this would have been probably Tuesday, um, I w did a Zoom call with our three daughters, adults, once in Boston, once in Dallas, once in Atlanta, so, you know, we're kind of all over the country, and, and you know, they, they were scared for their daddy, and, um, and obviously so, and, but anyway, we talked, we cried, all the things, and, um, but I was talking to one of my kids later, and she said, you know, Mom, she said, I call you, and I, and I tell you about all the things that are going wrong in my life, the things I don't like, the things that frustrate me, the things that irritate me, the things that, and, and uh, she said, oh my gosh, how petty. She said, how none of this stuff matters when you're faced with, you know, you could lose someone that you love. And I know I kind of made a, a similar promise to God. I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I get cranky with Mark sometimes. Don't tell him that. <laughs> Is he in here? No, he's still downstairs. <laughs> And it's like, I'll never be cranky again over the little things. But it was like it was this clarity, this perspective about what was important and what was not. He goes on. Oh, and let me say one thing that I thought was interesting. When he says that um, even though we must endure these many trials for a little while, that word many there, um, I looked it up in the Greek, and it, and it actually means of various colors. Your trials of various colors. And I thought, what a great, great tie-in with our, with our series on Kaleidoscope. He concludes by saying this in this song of praise and this message, and he says, you love him even though you've never seen him, and though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. As we think about these moments in our lives, these moments that are the in-between moments when all the pieces are shifting and changing, and, and as Paul, I mean, uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter writes about this, the many colored, the various colors of our trials. Our question is, are we going to allow God to use this moment, to leverage this moment, to strengthen our faith where our theology about eternity and salvation and the hope of the gospel was not just something that I, an essay that I had to write about in a paper in seminary, but it is literally alive and so incredibly real to me. As we think about this, I was listening recently to an interview uh, by a man named Stuart Hall, and he is the director of student leadership and, and uh, leadership networking with Orange and the Rethink Group. Basically, he's an author and writer, and um, probably, if I had to guess, I mean, he's maybe 10 years younger than us, it's my guess, uh, goes all over the country. He's written books, leading youth retreats, speaking to youth, uh, working with youth leaders that lead youth, but amazing, amazing guy. He uh, contracted COVID uh, back in March, and so I was watching an interview, and I won't, it was about an hour interview, so obviously I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but, but he tells his story, and basically his story was different from ours because he contracted it in March before they kind of knew what all they know now, and basically he went to the ER, but there weren't enough tests, and so they sent him back home, and in the meantime, he got, you know, maybe days and days later, he uh, basically, you know, woke up one morning and said, I need, told his wife, I need you to take me to the ER. He had a, he, he was in congestive heart failure and um, one of his arteries was 100% blocked and they immediately intubated him, sent him to the ICU. But, but here's the part of the, of the interview that I, that I felt like was relevant to us. 
was the, the wife, you know, got on the phone because she's out in the parking lot, you know, with the doc and said, you know, what, what chance do you give my husband? What chance do you give my husband? And he said, well, if this was a normal situation, I'd give him a 50% chance of, of, of making it. And he said, but right now, he said, with everything that's going on, he said, I don't, I don't have a lot of hope to give you. And he said, but if you are people of faith, he said, now is the time to pray. Now is the time to pray. And of course, with their vast network, you know, he's a, he's a national leader in the youth world. And so she said they, they have instantly made it public. She said she had a neighbor um, that just came over and sat on her car. Of course, people couldn't come to their house, but she said she looked out her window and uh, there was a neighbor just sitting on her curb with her Bible. And she said, I walked over and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I didn't know what else to do. She said, I'm sitting on the curb just speaking scripture over your home and praying. And, and I know for me, I had this moment where I felt like um, that, I don't know if y'all have seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's, a, it's a great movie if you haven't. It's a, you know, an old, old one. But there's this moment at the beginning where you, you see the camera. It's like going to the different houses within this little town of Bedford Falls. And, and so you hear this one man, you know, oh, Father, you know, help, help my friend George. Help my friend George. And then you hear somebody else, you know, she says, oh, God, pray, pray for my husband. And Lord, I pray for my daddy. And, but you see these prayers of this whole community. At first, you just hear one, and then they're kind of jumbled over one another. And finally, the prayers are so loud that you can no longer hear the individual voices and the individual words, but there's just this din of prayer, just this, you know, noise of prayer going up. And then you see these two angels talking, and, uh, and one angel says to the other, and he says, well, I guess we'll have to send somebody down. There's a lot of prayers going up tonight for a man named George Bailey. And the other angel, he says, yeah, he said, tonight's his crucial night. And so I kind of had that experience and I could relate to this wife who was talking about the prayers and how, you know, eventually they did have a good outcome and, and he is home and, you know, this interview, he looks like he's the, you know, just in perfect health. But but the interviewer um, was Andy Stanley. Y'all might know who he is, a pastor in, in Atlanta. But he was interviewing him and he asked in the interview and he said, you know, so often, um, when something bad happens, when something like this happens, the unexplained, all that, he said, people ask the question, um, do you think God caused this or do you think it was just random? You know, kind of this experience, where do you fall on the theological spectrum? And I was on the, I was on the edge of my seat because I was thinking, I, I want to know this. Yeah, I, sh- I, I, I wonder this myself. And, and the guy, Stuart Hall, he, he talks about it and he said, I know there's tension between the sovereignty of God and the random of the universe. But here's what he said, and I've asked Joseph to put this up because it was so powerful. He said, I don't know if God made it happen, but I do know that God wants to make it matter. Y'all, that's the wisest statement I think I've heard, you know, when you think about the tension of, of, well, did God cause this to happen because he wanted to teach me something or was God mad at me because whatever your event is, I mean, I'm kind of processing my own current event, but you've got your stories or, or was it just random? And, and he says, I don't know, uh, maybe a little Forrest Gumpy there, you know, I don't know. And he said, but I do know that God wants to make it matter. There, the, the Japanese have this, this beautiful art form, and it is called um, kintsugi. I think I'm saying that correctly, kintsugi. And as, as Joseph got that up there, I'm going to see if he can get that, kintsugi. And what it is, 
It is the art of repairing broken objects with gold. So in this, in this picture here, you see a bowl that, that was broken. And rather than discarding it, they have now made that moment when, the, when it was broken an object of beauty as they have, they have filled in and repaired the broken parts with gold. And the broken places become a unique piece of the object's history, which adds to its strength and beauty. You know, kind of going back to that original question, what, do, what have you experienced in those in-between moments? Was God able to use that moment to leverage your faith, to grow your faith, to deepen your faith, to do a deeper work in you and through you than he could have otherwise? I think about Peter, and I think about this powerful letter that he wrote to the church there. Um, it, was, it was several churches, obviously. We talked about that in the beginning. Who were, you know, they, they were in the middle of a time of suffering that we as Americans cannot even begin to imagine. And I thought, where did he get this wisdom? Where did he learn this? And I thought about on the night when Jesus was betrayed, and Jesus was having, having uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. And he told them, he said, Satan, Satan has asked that he can sift you. You're, basically, your faith is about to be tested. And he told Peter, he said, he said, you know, you will deny me. You will deny me before, three times before the cock crows. All three gospel accounts, um, they, they record that moment when Peter's faith was tested. And so often I think we think about that as a moment and we think about how Peter failed. Of course, we know later he was restored. But I'd almost like to just think of that as the beginning of a moment where his faith was tested. And yeah, he didn't do it perfect and exactly right. But here's what he did that was right. Was Sunday morning, he ran. He ran to the tomb. He ran. That moment, it, I mean, I think it might have defined him. Obviously, he learned something in that moment about grace, about forgiveness, about humility, about mercy, that God was able to use that moment in his life to do a work in him and through him that pointed to the God the God and the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. As we think about our kaleidoscope moment, the in-between moment when all is, in, all is in motion, all is a swirl. And if you, I know you've had them and I know you will have them and we will have more because that is the nature of this world. But I want to, I want to leave you with this question. And I think I've got it coming up here. When this event is over, and when this moment, whoops, did it go? Maybe we don't have it. When, there it is. When this event is over, and when this moment is over, and we look back six months, one year, five years, what is the story that we will tell? What is the story that we will tell? 
Our closing prayer, um, I'm going to read a prayer of someone else's, and I'm not going to pray my own prayer, but I'm praying it myself. But um, I got the sweetest email, um, kind of when the word was getting out that Mark was in the hospital, and it was from Richard Davies. He's a retired pastor um, here at Martha Bowman, and just such a such a, a precious man of God, so, so wise and a, a great biblical scholar. But um, this is the the prayer that Richard emailed uh, to his Sunday school class, and then I was copied on it. And so, if you will, let's bow our heads as we pray this prayer from Richard. Lord, sometimes life here on earth is frightening. And you know, Lord, that this is one of those times. You know us, so you know how we like to think that we're in control. You know that we're not in control, but you humor us. But now we realize that we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Our pastor is really sick, and we don't know when he will be back with us. Lord, we know now, like we didn't know a few days ago, that we need you. We need your guidance. We need your help, and we need your hand. Oh, Father, I do pray for each of us here in the in-between moments that life throws our way. We don't know if you orchestrate things like that or if they're just the randomness of the universe. But, Father, let us say with Stuart Hall that we do know that you want, us, you want it to make it, you want it to matter. Father, let these moments matter. Let them deepen and strengthen our hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.